0: Have you ever had a tummy ache? Ever had a tummy ache? A little girl went to her mom and said, Mom, my tummy hurts. I got a tummy ache. Her mom said, well, that's just because you haven't had your supper yet. See, your stomach is it's empty. And when your stomach's empty, it, it aches. So you just have a tummy ache because your, your stomach's empty. When you get some food in there, you'll be fine. Not long after that, the Mother was talking to their pastor and the pastor was telling the mom, man, I had the worst headache last Sunday during the service. Man, my head hurts so bad. Little girl piped up. She goes, that's okay. Mommy says, this just because your head is empty. Once you get something in your head, you will be fine. This past week, we have filled our stomachs with candy. Or maybe that was just me. I don't know. But as believers, the season of Easter should do more than just keep our our tummies full. We should not be empty-headed Christians. We should be filling our minds with the things of God all the time. And especially, we should always be filling our minds with the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the things about the risen Savior. The truth is, the resurrection is why we function as Christians. You see, if Easter becomes something where the resurrection of Jesus Christ is only remembered one week out of the year, then all we'll end up doing is having a really fancy religious holiday, and yet we will miss out on the greatest hope of our lives. And if we're not careful, the fancy religious holiday may not even be that religious, Ian Wilson is a British author and journalist who has spent most of his adult life professing to be an atheist. In the last 10 years, he has embraced the gospel that he heard as a young boy. Last week, he wrote a very interesting article about how Easter has changed in his country from what it was like when he was a kid back in the 50s. This is what he writes. The majority of Britons will not go to church tomorrow. And I would be prepared to bet a large sum that most of those who did go to church on Easter Day, if wired up to a lie detector, would admit they were agnostic about whether Christ did indeed rise from the dead. In other words, people might go to a church, and that church might openly profess the Jesus of the Bible, and yet, that person might attend that church and not agree or affirm with what the Bible says about Jesus. Wilson goes on to say this. The fact is, the British establishment has had a secular mindset since the 50s. What does that mean? A Secular mindset since the 50s. Well, what it means is he is looking at the current culture. And he's saying, when I look back over the course of my lifetime, I can look back and see that in the 50s, the most educated and influential people put more attention on the things of the world than they did on the things of God. Is that only true for a British society? This is what Billy Graham has said about our country. Even though America is just as wicked as Sodom and Gomorrah ever were, and as deserving of the judgment of God, God would spare us if we were earnestly praying with hearts that had been cleansed and washed by the blood of Christ. Reverend Graham said that in 1962. It's a big statement, right? It it does seem to, to push us to ask the question, if the resurrection of Jesus Christ is starting to disappear from the Easter culture, Is it really the fault of people who don't go to church? Or is it us as believers? Are we beginning, are we continuing to put more attention on the things of the world than the things of God? Wilson goes on to say this. It was not the atheist scientist Richard Dawkins who stopped us believing in Christ. It was the spread of prosperity, of shopping and package holidays. Above all, if anything was needed to complete the process of trivializing the Western mind, it was the invention of the Internet. Who would put aside time to pray when they could log into the latest bargain on eBay? Ouch, right? (laughs) Those are some hard punches to the gut. But you know, there's, there's way too much truth in them to just dismiss them, to just ignore them. And there's way too much truth in the first people. Who told about the risen Jesus to just dismiss them or ignore them? Wilson goes on. We can easily dismiss Easter as a fairy tale, especially if we hide from ourselves the uncomfortable fact that the first men and women who claimed to be witnesses to Easter were prepared to be tortured and to die horribly rather than deny the risen Christ. We think we are justified in shutting Easter out of our lives because we cannot believe unlikely stories about a man rising from death. But the truth is, what deters most of us from contemplating Easter is not the thought of Christ's death, but our own. How much easier it is just to sit on the sofa and eat chocolate. Those are some powerful thoughts. So, How do we make sure that doesn't happen to us? How do we make sure that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not just a a one-week event with beautiful spring clothes and candy? How can we keep finding hope and happiness and joy in the empty tomb? Or maybe put another way, how can we make sure in our personal lives that Easter doesn't come and go? Well, let's find out. Look with me at Colossians 2, beginning with verse 9. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Paul is writing to a group of Christians who were surrounded by worldly philosophies. They were surrounded by man-made systems of doing things. In other words, they were surrounded by practical and spiritual advice about how they were supposed to spend their money and how they're supposed to raise their kids, what they're supposed to do with their free time and how they're supposed to live their lives. Good thing we don't have anything like that anymore, right? Nothing like that's happening in our culture still, is it? It wasn't just that they were being surrounded by these things. In verse 8, Paul said that they were being kidnapped They were being captured by these things. They they were caught up in the systems of the world and caught up so much that their Christianity could barely be seen. In other words, it was almost like their lives were a confusing blur of living according to the culture of the world instead of living their faith in Jesus Christ out in the culture. Again, nothing that we have struggles with today, right? Foreign to us, right? Right? So how does Paul encourage these folks? How does Paul challenge them? What kind of advice does Paul have for these people who are struggling with buying in to all the philosophies of the world? What does he give them? Well, in short, he gives them what he always gives. He gives them Jesus. Jesus. See, if you read Paul's letters, you will find that he's pretty much like a a broken record or a digital loop. Over and over and over again, he keeps saying the same thing. Get Jesus. Keep Jesus. Jesus is what you need the most. And why would Paul direct these distracted Christians toward Jesus Christ? Well, he just said it. Because the fullness of God was in Jesus. See, Jesus wasn't a a junior God. He wasn't a half God. He wasn't just a good teacher. And he's not just a great prophet, priest, and king. Jesus is God. According to the Scriptures, he is the full personal revelation of God to humanity. And he is the only go-between, the only mediator between God and humanity. There is nobody else besides Jesus. Who do you think of when I say Graceland? Come on, King rock and roll? Elvis. Thank you very much. Thank you. When you hear the word Graceland, you, you think of Elvis. What about the White House? Think of, of the president. Pretty much internationally, if you go anywhere and say, hey, what do you think about Graceland? They're going to connect it with Elvis. What do you think about the White House? They're going to connect it with the sitting president at the time. The word fullness here means a permanent dwelling. In other words, when it comes to the fullness of God being in Jesus, Jesus did not lease with an option to buy. Jesus is the permanent dwelling place of God, the the permanent residence of God. It means that when we look at Jesus Christ, we should thank God automatically and immediately. The magnitude of the greatness of God, the magnitude of his love, his power, his authority, his salvation, is all found in the person of Jesus. There's nowhere else to look. John wrote it this way in John 1, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus of Nazareth is the Word that became flesh. Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the Christ, He actually lived and dwelt in the Middle East. Thousands of people heard Him teach. Thousands of people saw Him heal people. He lived out grace and truth, perfect grace and truth, to thousands of people. And hundreds of of people saw him after he had come back from the dead. Christianity Explored gives this description. As we read the gospel accounts of Jesus' life, we meet an amazing man. We meet a man who said he was God, who did things only God can do, and who fulfilled all the predictions God had made about the coming of his king and son. See, the fullness of God and His grace and truth did not stay in heaven. The fullness of God and His grace and truth came from heaven to earth in the person of Jesus Christ. There is nowhere to look other than Jesus. But why does that matter? What does the fullness of God and Jesus Christ have to do with you today? What does it have to do with your life today? Well, in order to answer that question, I want to skip over Part A of verse 10 and jump to Part B. If you will look at Part B of Colossians 2:10, And he is the head over all rule and authority. All natural beings, including human beings, are completely and totally under the authority and the rule of Jesus Christ. All supernatural beings, including angels and demons are completely and totally under the rule and the authority of Jesus Christ. So Jesus has more authority than presidents and kings and queens. Jesus has more authority than popes and pastors and elders and deacons. Jesus has more authority over rock stars and rap stars and R&B stars and pop stars and TV stars and movie stars and talk radio stars and actual stars and planets and galaxies and Milky Ways. Jesus has authority over angels and demons and even over the enemy, Satan himself. Jesus has more authority than anybody Anywhere, anytime, ever, and it will always be that way. There's absolutely no one who has more authority than Jesus. This is what Paul said to the Ephesians. The God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And that is some serious authority, right? Not only the the people who were in charge, not only Pilate did Jesus have authority over. Jesus has authority over every single leader of every nation right now. And he always has, and he always will. There is no one who has more authority than Jesus Christ. And that's why we put our attention on Jesus It's why we don't get overly excited about, you know, people's uh, light experiences at near-death times. It's why we don't get overly excited uh, about angelic visions or overly excited about demonic influences. It's why we don't get overly excited about seeing Jesus in the froth of our cappuccino. Why? Because our focus, our constant focus should be on the actual person of Jesus. Because the actual person of Jesus has the fullness of God. Think of it this way. If somebody's breaking into your house, are you going to call the volunteer hall monitor for the fourth grade department down at the elementary school? No, you're, you're going to call the police. Why? Because the police have some authority in that situation. The Jesus of the Bible has ultimate and complete authority over all rulers and all authorities so why would we go to lesser things if Jesus is the ultimate why would we put so much confidence in the lesser now does that mean that the lesser things are not important does that mean that we should just you know ignore our doctors quit going to see them no does that mean we should quit listening to the the sermons the pastor preaches I mean I'd, I'd appreciate if you didn't Does that mean we're supposed to rebel against our parents and and ignore all their instructions? No. Does that mean we should quit paying our taxes and, and start breaking all the local laws? No. To not make more of the lesser things just means this. When it comes to us trying to figure out how we should live life, we should not go first and most to our parents, our grandparents, the pastor, celebrities, or anyone else, or the philosophies of the world. All of those things are good and have their place when it comes to how we should live our lives, we should go first and most to Jesus. Why? Because the fullness of God is in him. Because he has complete and total authority over everything. He is the king of all kings. There is no greater authority. And what does Jesus do with all that fullness? What does Jesus do with all that authority? Look back at the first part of verse 10. And in him, you have been made complete. I love that word, complete. 100%. Everything, 100%. You know what? This week, in almost every store you went into, guess what Easter candy was? 50% off. It's great, isn't it? Man, those little Cadbury mini eggs, oh, 50% off, is wonderful. Why? Well, it's 50% off because Easter's over, right? Well, at least the bunny and the eggs and the candy part is over. But listen, Jesus Christ is not 50% off this week. He's still 100%. You know why? Because he's never over. There's never a time that that Jesus stops being risen. There's never a a time that he quits being resurrected. There's no end to Easter when Easter is truly about Jesus. See, the reality is, if the resurrection of Jesus Christ disappears from my Easter, if the resurrection of Jesus Christ disappears from, from my life or from my home or from my family, from my church, from my community... It won't be the president's fault, and it won't be the governor's fault, and it won't be the fault of some random person who doesn't go to church. If the resurrection of Jesus Christ exits my life as a believer, it's because I wrote Easter on the calendar instead of keeping on writing it on my heart. The risen Savior never stops. He never ends. What we have in Jesus is astounding, and it's why we put our focus there. This is what Peter said Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Sanctify, revere, set apart, worship, adore, make a big deal out of. Peter is telling us that we need to make Jesus Christ the, the greatest and most valuable treasure. In our world, Isaiah 8 says this It is the Lord of hosts whom you should regard as holy, and he shall be your fear, and he shall be your dread. Then he shall become a sanctuary. Listen, standing in the trickling waves of the ocean at sunset, man, it's great. That, that helps me enjoy God. Standing up on the top of a mountain and, and looking at the, the panoramic view around, that It's great. It really helps me enjoy God. Sitting under the the shade on a Sunday afternoon, resting under a a huge, gigantic oak, man, that, that helps me rest and enjoy God. Even being in this room is a very helpful thing for me to enjoy God. But there is only one sanctuary. There's only one true sanctuary, and that sanctuary is Jesus. Everything goes to him. He is in a category by himself. There is nowhere else to turn. That's why I look up to him more than my parents or my grandparents or my coaches or celebrities or my pastor. I look up to him more than all the philosophies of the world or all the customs of my family or all the traditions of my religion or all the fads of the society. I look up to Jesus first and most because he is what I need first and most. All those things are good, but they're not first and most. Only Jesus. Why? Because the fullness of God is found in him. Because Jesus Christ has ultimate and complete authority over all rulers and all authorities. That's why I look to him first and most and nowhere else. And also because Jesus makes me complete. Jesus completes me. I I have everything together. I, I find what I need in Jesus. Contrary to philosopher Jerry Maguire, your girlfriend does not complete you. And your boyfriend does not complete you. Your husband, your wife, they don't complete you. Your kids, your grandkids, they don't complete you. Your education, your health, your bank account, they don't complete you. Your government, your church, your pastor, they don't complete you. Your favorite holiday doesn't complete you. But Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, the Savior of the world, completes you. By his very nature, he can do nothing different because there's no one like him. I think sometimes we forget how awesome and how incredible Jesus is, and we begin to think, well, something else can complete me. But you know what Paul's really trying to say? He's just trying to help us see this. When it comes to being full Only Jesus can fill you full. Nothing else can. Everything and everyone else will come up short. Why? Well, because without Christ, we are incomplete. Without Jesus, it's not all together. You see, without Jesus, sin is always disrupting the story. Sin is making us incomplete. Think of it this way. Let's say that you don't believe in Jesus. Let's say that you don't believe in the Bible. Let's say that you don't think the Bible is the standard, the objective standard of truth in the world. And let's just say that you decide that you're going to make your own standard of truth. You're going to make your own standard of what you are going to live by and your conduct is going to be driven by. You know what's going to happen? Eventually, you're going to break your own law. Eventually, you're going to break your own code of conduct. You know why? Because none of us are perfect. None of us can live up to the right thing over and over again. You know, for that matter, none of us can even do the same thing perfectly every single time. We are incomplete without Jesus Christ. We cannot do the right thing all the time. So we are incomplete mentally, we are incomplete morally, and we are incomplete spiritually. We we are incomplete. We need help. But with Christ... It's a different story. With Christ, it's 100%. With Christ, we're complete. Now, does that mean Christians are perfect? Sure, that's what it means. <laughs> no, it doesn't. doesn't mean we're perfect. It doesn't mean we always do the right thing. But being in Christ means that we don't need to look for anything else. In other words, once we've found Jesus, our search for truth, our search for hope, our search for love... Our search for completeness, it's over. We we find it all in Jesus. That's what it means to be complete. It means that once we've found Christ and once Christ has found us, our search for what we need most is over. We have nowhere else to look. Kent Hughes says this, If you are full of Christ and growing in that fullness, if you are overflowing with Christ, the appeals of the empty philosophies of our age will bear little appeal to you. I I definitely have that hope for everybody in this room 30 and over. But I passionately have that hope for those 30 and under. If you're a young person today, I would love that that quote would become your life, that the appeal of Jesus Christ becomes so great That the appeal of the world doesn't even faze you. You look at it and say, that is not better than Jesus. And I've learned that, and I feel that, and I know that in the deepest part of my heart. What a treasure for all of us of all ages to get that, though, right? That there is nothing that compares to Jesus. That's why Paul said this to the Philippians. But whatever things were gained to me, those things... I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Just go ahead and put a a quick list into your mind. What's gain to you? Education, home, cars, family, friends, trophies, plaques. What's gain to you? Anything in life that you would consider gain. Good stuff. Good stuff. Paul says, All of those things I've counted as loss for the sake of Christ. And then he says this, more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I shared with someone the other night, the reason I took the Lord's Supper last Thursday for Maundy Thursday, the reason I I took the Lord's Supper is because my heart is convinced that there's no greater treasure in the universe than knowing Jesus. There's no greater treasure than that. So I come to the table not as a religious ceremony. I come to the table to remind myself because I forget all the time that there's no greater treasure than Jesus. That everything compared to Jesus fails and falls in comparison because the surpassing value of who he is. The value of knowing Jesus Christ makes us complete. I heard a great picture of this or read a great picture of this this past week in my reading about what it means to be complete in Jesus Christ. Imagine if you will a a king of a kingdom and the king loses his hand and a decree goes out into all the kingdom for all those who are in trouble with the law all those who have crimes sentenced against them all who are imprisoned even that if they were to give up and donate their hand then their law breaking their crimes would be erased and imagine if you will a prisoner someone who is in prison for life for murder sends a message to the king and says you can have my hand and they amputate the hand of that prisoner and then they attach that hand to the king the prisoners hand is is now a part of the king that hand that has been known for evil and sin, even murder, is now attached to the king. But that hand is now attached to the king. And all of the fullness of the majesty and the power and the authority of the king is now part of that hand. That's a pretty good picture of what it means to be complete in Christ. See, being complete in Christ means that the fullness of God you are now connected to. That all of the majesty and all of the power and all the authority and all of the hope and all of the peace and all of the love and all of the joy and all of the satisfaction that comes with God, you are attached to. You see, friend, the reason for Christians that Easter doesn't come and go it's because we're always attached to the King. Christ is the King of all kings. And Christ is risen. Jesus Christ is risen. The King has risen, He is risen indeed.